John Lamont, JL, how are you, mate? Very good. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. It's uh, been a while and, um, yeah, I've been coaching for a long time and, um, yeah, it's great to hear from guys you coached in their formulative years and see where they've ended up and, uh, yeah, so great to see you and great to chat. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I wanted to do this show, really. And, and just to explain to people how the, the AFL system works. So, JL coached me in the elite under 18 competition, which is where a lot of the still, I think, out of Victoria, over half of the, the guys that make it into the AFL get drafted out of that competition. I got into the system early, so 16, 17, 18. So, we had three years together in those formative years for me. And then it's interesting, it's now 18 years later and, uh, and so I wanted to actually talk to him about what I've taken from his coaching and applied into mine. But uh, uh, let's start at the top though because I'd love for you to tell us how you got into coaching and I kind of know this story because you would tell us um, when we were playing but what was it that attracted you to it? You played uh, at what is the equivalent of a semi-professional, so the elite semi-professional competition in Victoria. But then why coaching after that? Look, it's a really easy, really easy answer for me. I'm probably, I grew up in a coaching household. My dad was a coach and my father, David, he, and he's still with us, still talk coaching with him a little bit now. But he was coaching before I was playing. A lot of dads get into coaching to coach their son or daughter in a particular sport. But my father was the sort of person that coached before I started playing. So in community football, the thirds would start at 10 o'clock in the morning. My dad would coach the thirds and then play in the seniors at 2 o'clock. So he was that sort of person. And then I came along and I wanted to start playing football, of course, and he um, was already coaching and he ended up coaching my team, as you would expect. Mm -hmm. There's still an element of, yeah, who's going to coach junior football and dads do it. So dad was, a, a David, he was an obvious one. So I grew up in a house where teams were being picked, football strategy was being discussed, footballs were being pumped up. So I think I'm a little bit rare. I, I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to coach. So even so, coming through, I was keeping all my coaching handouts, mm -hmm. keeping my own notes, and I always knew that I wanted to captain coach because I grew up in country Victoria where every local team captain coach and I would go out to the three-quarter time huddles and get in with the players and listen to the coach and just absolutely loved it so after I finished in the in the VFA then I went coaching local football I was really lucky got an opportunity at a, a couple of local clubs to coach Ringwood and Caulfield started captain coaching and at three years of that bit of injury and then made the transition into the, you know, the talented player pathway, the under-18 program where I met you, Cody. And so I felt that I was, for a young coach, really, really well prepared. I was really organised. Um, 
I was, yeah, I was organised. I was really committed. I knew what I wanted to do. I've always been passionate about it. So it gave me a good start in that I was really prepared for things. So, um, yeah, didn't get everything right, of course, but I was really prepared and that, that gives you a hell of a start as opposed to finishing footy, what am I going to do now? How about coming to coach us? Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I wasn't like that at all. I hit the ground running and, and was ready to go um, and still passionate about it now and still enjoying it crazily enough as much as ever. Yeah, it certainly makes you an anomaly because that just that kind of pathway doesn't really happen. Um, but as you said, like the the nuances you would have picked up just from being around it the whole time, and it was funny because I I had Cameron Schwab on the on the show as well, and we were talking about how he grew up in that environment and how that made him so prepared to be. You know, he's a CEO of of Richmond at twenty four or twenty five, and he said. I was kind of ready, and, and which is is bizarre to say, but he's like, yeah, you know, I would all the all the coaches like Barras was around at my house uh, when I was a kid, and I would sit there with my dad and and listen to, oh, I've got to cut this player, we're going to pick this player, why are we going to pick this player, and and so it, it just became ingrained in in him, and it sounds like you were the same. So reflecting back now, like. What have you held on to? Like what values or, or beliefs or, you know, as you've gone through your journey and you've made mistakes, what do you still see as some of those foundational elements that you still hold on to that you probably learnt from your dad? Look, I'm, uh, I'm really player or athlete or people-centred now. And I certainly had that in the early days. I'd, I'd like to think that, um, and it's interesting, you could say to me, oh, hang on a minute, that's all BS. <laughs> but, you know. We'll, we'll, get, into, we'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, I'd, you know, care for, care for your athlete. And, um, yeah, so early on I was probably – really strong about the game. I'm coaching the game and teaching the game and so forth. Centre to that is is the players and certainly had what I, a philosophy around care and concern for the player. Um, so that's, that's something that's been there from the start, but it is getting uh, stronger and stronger now in terms of that athlete-centred coaching which I call now in my philosophy, balanced athlete. That point number one in my coaching philosophy now around football is balanced athlete. My responsibility as a coach is to make sure that I have a, a balanced athlete. Now, as coach, how do I, my starting point for that is a conversation. So, I'm really strong now on leadership and coaching. It's, it's less about the body language thing and what have you. It's really about now, have I had that conversation with that player or that person? If it's a coach or another staff member within our club. Um, and that 
comes down to, you know, asking questions. It's just so, so crucial having that, having the willingness and that ability to have the conversation with the people. So, yeah, I'd like to think that the care and concern, whilst it's certainly evolved, the care and concern has has been with me from, from the start, as well as the love and the passion of the game, but then guiding and, and coaching and leading in an appropriate manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't disagree with you from, from my experience with you. And again, that was, you know, like you said, you were a young coach when you had us. Uh, and I don't know whether you did this deliberately, but even from my perspective, you know, to me at least, it seemed like you understood with me as a player that you probably needed to be a bit of a father figure. Like it was it was very obvious that that I was without a father figure, um, you know, single mum. And and I know you would speak regularly uh, to my mum and kind of understood that dynamic. So I don't know whether you did that deliberately or you understood that I probably needed some of that care and concern. But that I always felt that way anyway. Yeah, so I was um, certainly even back then, and again, it's things have got things have got stronger in my coaching. One again, one of the guiding, one of my guiding um, principles is keep it real. Don't be unrealistic with things. So keeping it real for me to do that also need I need to understand what's going on in this athlete's life. So, yeah, back, uh, I would have understood you came into the program um, with single mum. So that's a very real situation. So I need to understand that as a coach and then uh, make sure I'm observing appropriately, reading the cues and and coaching appropriately. Um, And it's such a that period 16 to 18 there's you're on the transition from boy to man um schooling stars in your eyes it's an incredible period of time and i was certainly i've I've felt one thing with my i've felt privileged to be in charge of that age group and then when i left the tac cup program and had seven years at north melbourne where the same sort of thing, they're a little bit older, but they're into a league club and the same thing, care and concern and mm-hmm. and uh, ask questions. Everyone's different. Everyone's got a different set of circumstances. In football, there is still an element, and uh, I would imagine with most group, most group sport, we do tend, there's an element of treating everyone the same to a point and then the little nuances of everyone's a little bit different. But there's that core thing that we all have to, stick to and that's how we will coach them as a coaching group but everyone's got their little nuances and I believe the the effectiveness effectiveness of coaching is enhanced if you understand that have the conversation with the player or your listening group you know uh, in the corporate world staff member let's have that conversation and have if it has to be a hard conversation that's part of our role as a coach or a supervisor to have it and have it as soon as we can, you know, with the in the appropriate time frame. <clears throat> yeah, that's something that I've spoken about a lot 
uh, I've been lucky enough to give some some talks and get up on stage for corporate audiences, and and it's I just talk about coaching. It's you know I consider myself a student of the craft and was interested in it. I was a thinker as a player, um, which um, set me back as a player. I probably didn't realize my full potential because of that. I thought my way a little bit too much through the game. Um, however, now as a coach and being able to pick up on cues like that and, and understand human behavior and conditioning especially, uh, I think that's where a lot of leadership needs to go is, is you're right, there's this idea of like culture and treating everyone the same and everyone gets the same benefits and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, every human being has that conditioning element single mother, grew up in this neighbourhood, grew up in this socioeconomic group, uh, this person's first language, second language, third language, whatever it may be, impacts how they perceive the world. And so to think that you can treat them the same as everyone else is, uh, yeah, it, it, I think that's a lot more developed in the sporting world and not really understood in the, the business world yet. But, but I think I think it's going to need to be. Yeah, interesting. I started, obviously, or not obviously, but I started work in a corporate environment, insurance, and um, but I've been out of it for a long time. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. That, yeah, the whole um, psychological, where people are at, just ties in with the, as I said, keep it real. And to keep it real, you have to have an understanding of the, of the person's framework and as a coach, uh, the framework they've come from. As a coach, I try and make sure that the athletes have got, there's a team framework that they understand the team. This is what we're working towards. But then individually, they have a couple of little, uh, little framework things that they need to be clear on. Now, and the only people that might be aware of that uh, that particular player and me as the head coach, mm-hmm. or if I've, you know, obviously the last few years of, you know, in a head coach position where I've had an assistant where I might, yeah, depending upon the the um, the level of the issues at hand, whether you bring an assistant coach into the mix or whether it is just between player and head coach and they're the decisions that you've you've got to make depending upon the sensitivity of the issues of the framework that the player brings in to our team so interesting really interesting I'm sure you I'm only halfway through it but I'm um the Chicago Bulls video of the the last dance you know really interesting stuff not so much about the prodigious talent of Michael Jordan um, and his, you know, the, the incredible mix of high talent, high drive, but the Dennis Rodman and, and to see that dynamic and the framework of what Dennis brought to the group and his background, yeah, just interesting stuff. So th- just a great example. You can't coach Rodman the same way you're coaching Jordan. Um, there's some do's and don'ts for us as a collective but then there's the individual framework that no doubt Phil Jackson had with with each player 
Um, and that's why it's just so fascinating, the whole thing. But it's also interesting too, I think, in the sporting area. Like we all say it's played between the ears. It's all mental. But I'll be interested to hear from your uh, Team Canada program, Cody, how much of your time and the program's time or staff, how many of them are aimed towards the technical, tactical and physical side of the game versus the mental side of it? Like, do you have a psychologist as part of your program? We do. We work with uh, a PhD student up the road here in at the University of Toronto. Um, and, again, that, that was something that fell into our lap. Um, it, it's really interesting, the dynamic, because even just sports psychology in particular is such a young discipline that it's, you know, where are the people? And, and a lot of them get absorbed into the professional levels and even then they're, they're probably underserved, particularly here in North America, maybe outside of baseball. But, yeah, I, I'm with you on that and, and that's why I'm, I consider myself such a student of all of those elements because I can pick up the slack with some of that in terms of understanding the psychology of the players and, and trying to dig into, like, what's modern and you know, how does sleep impact all of it. And, you know, it can, you, you can take a little bit of that into the, the coaching group itself. But, yeah, we, we've been really lucky and, and I know, you know, we're starting to, to really not push our guys, but just the availability of a sports psychologist has helped a lot of our guys just to talk about anything. Oh, look, I've got no doubt. Like central to all this, um, central to all this that you and I are trying to do with the, with the athletes in our lives is self-awareness. And it's just so crucial to as us as coaches to make sure that, you know, we have our ups and downs and how does that impact upon the athletes that we're, and coaches staff that we're interacting. So um, having a handle on your own self-awareness as a coach or a supervisor is absolutely critical. Now, you need help with that. I'll be interested. I know you're talking with Paul Ruse again later today. I, I believe in my... Uh, in my time in the AFL, and obviously you haven't got intricate knowledge of what's going on at the AFL clubs, but I think for a game that is so mental, the mental application, self-awareness is so critical, I think AFL clubs scratch the surface, scratch the surface on the psychological support to their players. So I'll be very interested if you get a minute when you're talking to Paul, I don't know Paul at all, but to say what are his thoughts on that? Where does he think the psychological support to the AFL athlete is at the minute? Because when the, uh, can I say, shit hits a fan in <laughs> AFL footy, um, you know, it's all between the ears and all those sorts of things and uh, mental strength and staying on task which is pivotal, to, that's almost the definition of mental strength, in my opinion, staying on task under pressure, yep. regardless, of, regardless of the score or opposition, staying on task, that's what it is. But 
I think the support to, to athletes in that area in the AFL has probably got a long way to go. But I've had some, I've worked with some really good people at Werribee, um, Andy Demetriou. Now he's the cousin of the Andy Demetriou that was at the AFL. Um, he was psychology at Werribee before I arrived and I worked with him and tremendous to have that resource in a part-time environment for those part-time boys, have a resource that they could talk to about their self-awareness and, um, yeah, it was wonderful. Really, really, uh, really positive thing. Well, you know who's killing it is one of our former boys, a, a Chargers boy, Paddy Steinford, uh, who's he's with the 76ers and the Boston Red Sox now doing just that. And, uh, you know, uh, mental skills for the players and the coaches. And, and that's the, the other part that I think will gets overlooked. And I've spoken many times about this topic is we don't see coaches as talent as well, but there's, there's mental skills that, that we can apply. Same kind of thing, lessen anxiety, stay on task, stay, you know, where your feet are kind of grounded in the moment. And, and uh, a lot of the things that come through, uh, mindfulness and meditation, but yeah, I wouldn't un- overlook coaches as well. Cause I think keeping them on task <laughs> is, is pretty crucial as well. No doubt. And look, it was something that um, I came back from overseas middle of uh, 2019. So I wasn't, for the first time for 25 years, I wasn't coaching a team. Hmm. So what I did was got involved in a little bit of uh, coaching consultancy, just at community level here in country Victoria. And um, the, the, the old saying, well, who is coaching the coaches? I'll tell you, no one. Um, And, yeah, there's just a lack of support there. And I gave some feedback to a a reserves coach at local level. And he was so appreciative and finished it off by saying, you know what, in all those years of coaching, this is the first time, the first time I've had any feedback. So, yeah, there's uh, support of coaches and, and uh, mental skills, as you as you called it, um, staying on task themselves, balance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, and obviously, um, there's been guys, you know, uh, Bomber Thompson over here. Um, you know, Scotty Waters got in a couple of years out. Um, uh, Dean Laidley, you know, chews them up. Um, and you just sort of wondered through those periods to what level support that they got. Um, and in local footy community football over here, there's a lot of instances of guys going into coaching, doing it for two or three years, and then they're out. Right. And part of it is because they're burnt out, exhausted, um, didn't realise how much time it took Um probably a lack of support, the mental skills stuff to keep some balance and and to um, delegate, all those sorts of things. Yeah, not being done. So then, yeah, a guy goes into coaching, does it for three or four years and then leaves. It takes all that experience, whatever he's learned. So the game is the lesser for it. 
So, yeah, when I, I'm hearing myself say all this and I think, yeah, we've still got a long way to go. We do. We do. And, again, we were talking beforehand about, you know, times like this throwing up new challenges and, and now particularly in AFL footy, especially when you start to lesser, lessen the staff levels, uh, you wonder what's going to slip through the cracks. So there was already stuff slipping through the cracks and now you take away half the staff that may or may not ever come back. We don't know. You assume they do eventually, but yeah, it's, it starts to become, um, yeah, there's going to have to be some innovation and some re- rethinking go into that. Um, you, you talked before, we'll change gears a little bit here. You talked before about the honour of, of being able to coach young men and then seeing where they end up. And I'm literally on the other side of the world right now in Toronto. But even thinking back to our team, you know, I was, I was sitting with Nick Rutley when I was back home in January and we talked about our top age team, the 2002 team. But on that squad, we had guys go on to win AFL premierships, you know, multiple premierships, you know, Toby Pinwell go and become an all-time great at one of the, the oldest football clubs in the history of the world. Uh, guys go on to business success. Guys go and travel. Yeah. What does that mean to you now? And that's just one year and you've obviously coached a lot of young men over the years, but what does that mean to you now? The first thing is, the first thing when you say all that, um, it annoys me that I haven't put more time into keeping touch and stay in touch and track guys down and what are you doing now and all those sorts of things. But we all, like you, you know, we didn't, you know, been 10 years or whatever it was when we touched base a while ago. You know, you just get on your own tangents and off in your own lives and those sorts of things. But um, luckily enough, um, still see enough guys like Pinwall and. Uh, uh, Pete Summers, Alistair Neville, um, guys that were making their way in footy that were all part of that team. At one stage, we had uh, three guys were captain of VFL clubs because hmm. um, Luke Cotchett was coach at Port and Summers hmm. was coach of Sandringham and Neville was coach of Coburg. Um, look, it's just it's rewarding to see that. And you just, I suppose... Um, you guys came in with strong family environments, a level of talent that meant you ended up in the talented player pathway. Um, But good family environments, uh, it's just rewarding to see and you just sort of hope that, you know, maybe you had a thimble, you know, a thimble full of of input um, into into their lives and and they've been able to take some of the concepts forward and uh yeah i ran into a guy who i coached at the eastern rangers and um ran into him last year basically on a beach in in vanuatu and he said can you remember telling you know just relayed some little story i said at training which of course i didn't remember right but here we are 20 years later and it is it's something that he's never forgotten and that he has passed on to other people. So when you hear stories like that and you see guys go on 
Um, and when I coach against blokes like Ashley Hansen, for instance, I'm coaching Werribee. He's coaching Footscray in the VFL. Catch up with him. He's gone on to play no. Yeah, it's sort of, it's just really rewarding. Sometimes you've got to like, pinch myself a little bit that, yeah, I was just uh, lucky enough, privileged enough to coach these guys, see them go, go on. And I talk principally through the VFL days and now coaching AFL, uh, coaching at a local level. I really push guys to play the best they possibly can, play the best footy you can strive, push that comfort zone. And what I stress to them is that the decisions that they make as a 19, 20, 21-year-old about um, their sport, which is their hobby or their passion, but if you're playing at a higher level and you're exposed to uh, people with higher standards and striving to be the best you can, then the decisions you make along those lines will stand you in good stead to make sure that later in life you're a better partner um, to your to your wife, um, a better father to your children because of the standards that you've set for yourself. At some stage, these guys I'm coaching are going to be a supervisor on a work site and have four or five guys themselves that they have to direct. If they've taken the soft option and just dropped down and played their sport at a lower level for money and those sorts of things, well, that compromises, I think, um, you know, the standards that they can reach in the other areas of their life. So back to your initial question, it just it's rewarding to coach young men that have gone on and been really productive and had an impact in other people's lives. So it's just that, you know, you throw a grain of sand in the water, there's a little ripple effect, but you throw a big stone in there and that ripple effect that goes out there. So to have been a part of that for so many young men now after having coached for 25 years is, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I don't take it for granted. It's, uh, it's been enjoyable and, and rewarding. Yeah. I want to tell you what I took from you, but before that, I'll, I'll ask a question that's going to be on everyone's lips. What do you remember about coaching me? Was it a joy yeah. or was I handful? Uh, Snotty-nosed kid coming into the program, <laughs> like a lot of you. Um, you'd achieved pretty good success at the local comp with Glenn Waverley out there somewhere. Good speed. Um, yeah, I use the term overthinker, a uh, little bit of an overthinker, um, a little bit affronted early on, more so in, in, your, in 2001, not so much in the year 2000 when you're a 16-year-old, a little bit affronted, you know, you come in as an on-baller, I'm teaching you to play in a different role, you know, play across half-back and a few things like that. So asking a lot of relevant questions but overthinking it a little bit, which is completely normal, not for everyone, but um, uh, for, to for, for players of your personality type. But, um, yeah, ability, could win his own ball, good speed, penetrate the game, break the lines a bit, that old cliche. Um, pretty good kick, could kick the ball pretty well. Um, 
certainly developed the defensive side of your game. It was probably, my recollection, he was a bit lacking early. Like most talented on-ballers come in and, you know, what do you value? Getting the ball. Um, so part of the role as a coach is to challenge value systems. That's a very important part of coaching is challenge the value systems. What do you value? Most guys come in and value getting a kick. Um, well, hang on, what about just keeping your opponent under wraps and doing a few things for the team? So I had challenge your value systems uh, in that area, but now you're a valuable um, member of the team, a contributor to that team over those couple of years, and, yeah, I really enjoyed coaching you without a doubt. And I enjoyed our conversations because you did think about it um, and you certainly developed um, – a level of rapport with me and a level of confidence where you could, my recollection, recollection is anyway, that you could come and talk to the head coach about things and get some clarity. So, no, it was an enjoyable time from, from my perspective anyway. And we had, um, you know, we won more games than we lost in those two years too. So um, played finals in both years and, um, no, it was good. Yeah, we had a great team and, and to your point, the, the standards were something that stood out to me and it's really resonated with me. I've been reflecting on this a lot recently actually and especially with the Jordan documentary on top of it of how when you get groups together that, that are matched on talent, so they have a similar level of talent. So, you know, we're in the elite system, so yes, that's a tick, but there's also a certain nuance to that. And then also an understanding of what the compete level is going to, that's going to be necessary to achieve our goals. I think those two things are what I've been reflecting on from our teams. And, you know, again, you've, you've talked about some of the guys like Ash Hansen, we had Luke, uh, Sam Power, we had Andrew Carrazzo, Josh Gibson, Cam Crow. Like we had a ton of guys, Nick Thomas. Like we, we were really lucky that we all, knew each other because we were a small um, geographical region. So we all played together in school footy. But then we also matched or you brought out of us a compete level that I think everyone was like, yeah, let's let's do this. This is going to work for us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, <laughs> you're right. Jeez, you taught me to defend. I, I came in, I was a centre forward at under 15 level. Uh, made Vic Metro as an under 15 as a centre half forward. By 16, I was a ruck rover. And then you were like, go and play in the back line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my recollection that you, know, you, couldn't, you couldn't even spell back flank. And I'm asking you to chance. play there. Yeah, like, um, but it was just an obvious, <laughs> it was an obvious thing for a few of you guys coming in. Um, but it was also, I'll be interested to hear your recollections on this. For a young coach, coaching the Oakley Chargers was a tremendous grounding. Tremendous grounding and I will be forever appreciative for, to Bob Batty and Darren Flanagan for uh, basically supporting me in my application to get the role. But because of the private school setup, where as a coach I had to mesh together the non-private school boys who were available most weeks, but then the Catholic 
school system who were there. They were playing Wednesday, so that compromised training because they couldn't. I had to modify training. So the group dynamics, which is crucial, the group dynamics to get them to play together as a team, we had almost two teams when the private school boys would come back in and they weren't all available all the time. And as a coach, I'm continually trying to mesh together all that. Great challenge, but great grounding for a young coach to try and bring all that together. What are your recollections on on that aspect of the Oakley Chargers team and, and the, the bringing, because we were far from stable. We'd play a lot of players every year because we had no choice. They weren't available. They went back to their school team. Um, Trinity boys went out one week and then the, you know, the St. Kevin's boys, then they came in and, and managing because uh, all you guys are your talented players from the from the districts, if I can use that. So there's ego there. So we're balancing all that. There's the the big metro when that comes in and blokes start want to play that. So their objectives train change again. As coach, I've got to try and harness all that and bring all that back in together. Was a great grounding. What's your recollection, Cody, of that aspect of playing in a team like that? Yeah, and I'll preface this with this was before private school scholarships and and what's going on now where every kid in the TAC Cup's on a scholarship. Um, I don't think it was as disruptive for the playing group and the reason I say that is, or at least from my perspective, is because we were so small So as a geographical region. So to explain to everyone, the whole state of Victoria is is broken up and so Oakley is just a particular uh, region we would play in Oakley Um, but where you live dictates who you play for Um, so even from you know we were essentially two regions there was like Waverley and Yarra and most of the guys whether they're private school or not played club footy against each other. So we were kind of in rep squads together all the way through from, you know, 12, 13, 14. So a lot of guys knew each other. So it wasn't even though, you know, Brownie and Slady would go off and play for Scotch, when they came back, we they just kind of slotted back in. Uh, now, I was also mostly in the team. So my perception of that, you know, <laughs> might have been different to someone who was getting knocked out when, you know, when the private school guys would come back. But I always thought just because, yeah, we were so tight as a geographical location, you would play or watch so many of the guys play so regularly that you understood like it wasn't foreign when they came back, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. okay. And look, we would work, you know. The, the coaching group and, and, you know, marvels like Jim Honey and uh, Al Morris and those guys, you know, working hard to make sure that we, we kept that environment as as positive as we could. And, you know, the thing, as you say, you're in the team, you're just seeing coming and going. Coach, we've got to, dip, you know, we're trying to balance. I'm having all those conversations with those guys who yeah. all of a sudden they're out of the team because Brown and Slade come back and in the, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, so that... Yeah, that's interesting. But there was a whole, whilst you had your perception, there's a whole 
swirling, a washing machine of stuff swirling around in terms of the the, the dynamics of the group. And uh, group dynamics, really, really important part of this whole caper and, and having an eye for it. And um, I'm sure for your listeners in the corporate world, um, everywhere's got a culture, as we know, um, and the group dynamics. Dynamics between a, a section or a sales team are really important, and um, yeah, you've got to have an eye for that sort of thing. It's just really, really important. Mm-hmm. That's essentially all I focus on now. My guys are literally on the other side of the country from each other, so we don't, we don't, we've got guys Vancouver to Halifax. So it's we we really have to think through what the dynamics are. We've got French speakers, native French speakers, so. Yeah, it is important and it's actually fun trying to solve that problem in that way because it's so foreign to footy. Footy in Australia is everyone's together three times a week for training, games on Saturday, back to the the club. And so you get to know people, whereas we're tournament-based in terms of playing games and camp-based in terms of getting together for training. But, yeah, it's all about the dynamics, even at, at, uh, uh, you know, under our scenario. Let me tell you what stood out from me that I took from you. We worked way harder than anyone. We were the fittest team and I still talk to Max regularly, but he had us drilled yes. uh, so well. Um, and we were, we were lucky to have someone like him. We were in the gym all the time, uh, running uh, that really stood out and it, and it wasn't the fitness it was the mentality and the mindset of the hard work and doing it together yeah. and uh, I, I it was just at such a high level and that's what I mean when I was talking about a compete level was there was a certain group of guys who were like yeah I'm, I'm interested in this like I, I want to be in this environment with all these other talented guys and you you get a snowball effect on the hard work. Uh, we certainly had that and you obviously fostered it. But you, you in particular, uh, <laughs> as an overthinker, you were, <laughs> you were so detailed. And uh, I know that probably appealed to me as an overthinker and, and not other people. Um, but I, I loved how detailed you were. We pushed the boundaries I think we got in trouble a couple of times. We were kind of on the border of, you know, with the league and a, <laughs> a few other times we got in, got into some trouble. But it, we did not. We did. Yeah, I got, uh, <laughs> I I got hauled into head office actually. Um, <laughs> yes. So your memory's right. We did. We were, we were. Um, it came in a bit late. Alistair Clark's and unsociable footy. Remember mm. that with the Hawks. Yeah. Well, we. Uh, I don't know whether he was at one of our games maybe, but uh, we were right on the edge of unsociable footy and, yeah, so, no, your memory's right. I'd sort of half forgotten about that myself, but, yes, you're right. (laughs) But, uh, again, you know, with that group and and even it was was even as a defender, like our, our group, we had an edge anyway. It was, you know, myself, Tom Hooker, Gilly, um, Gibbo, like, so that group kind of had a natural edge and it just, it fostered it. But also is the reality is every team that makes it and wins stuff is on that edge anyway. And so 
but that stood out was you were, you were comfortable standing there. You're comfortable being hauled into head office. You're like, you know, um, and, and the reason I say that is I had that edge anyway, but in terms of coaching is it resonates with my Canadian guys because that's how they play hockey. Like Canadian hockey has an ethos and it has a, a physicality and it has a hard work element to it that draws out that line that I was talking about. You know, the, the way they play hockey is they, every national team that plays for, for Canada in, in ice hockey, they put it below the net and they go down and they bash you and they beat you into the ground and they, they, the goaltender's uncomfortable because it's behind him and they've got big bodies and they just crash you against the boards. And so you can imagine how this kind of ethos now starts to come out when the guys are playing Aussie rules. Sure. Where they're like, okay, yeah, I, let's play on the edge. I, I love this kind of element to it. So uh, that was one that stood out. And then for me personally, the biggest thing that you told me was just to control what you can control. And we rarely talked about games or feedback on games you said go and train so that it's impossible not to pick you every week and so for me personally I, I that's the one thing as a person that I've taken from you is just to control what you can control if I'm anxious or I can't sleep literally I can hear your voice just saying just control what you can control can I control it no if not oh, let's just do away with it and just put it out of your mind so that's a kind of a life lesson that's that's stood with me again from formative years as a as a young adult and a young man. Yeah, it, that's what stood with me. Terrific, terrific. Yeah, it's um now um so that's still very in the athletes I coach now um, still comes up a bit. And I use the analogy now to help guys understand that I didn't have this in my toolkit as a coach when I was coaching you, Cody. It's just like a red light. You're driving along in the car. Um, Do we want that red light? No, we want all green. We just want to keep going. But we get that red light. What can we do about it? Nothing. There's no point getting anxiety. We just have to respond, deal with it, and then just move on. Um, and that's uh, very similar to the, yeah, you can't control it, so just move on, do what you need to do, because we cannot, like the red light, we cannot stop that negative thought or that anxiety coming in. You can't stop that coming in, can you? But we, what we have to do is just deal with it. and. Yeah, the red light, you know, we don't want that, but we just have to deal with it. So, um, yeah, control what you can can control. It's almost a cliche now, isn't it? You, all it is. those sorts of things. Um, but um, it, it's very, very important. And it's just another example of what we were talking about earlier of, about the mental side of it, that it's just so important. And uh, if as coaches we can help our athletes in that area, um yeah, just it, it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, and that's that's where I think that mental skill thing comes. It is a skill. It's a you can practice it. You can hone it. And that's why I think, to your point, it's so important, and we're leaving a lot on the table with uh, with regard to those mental skills. One last thing before we got on air, we were talking about your experience coaching footy in Vanuatu. 
and it'd be remiss of me not to talk to you about that. Uh, just tell us the the story about uh, you know coaching the young team and and just some of the the challenges. You know, you've come from the elite system. You've been in the elite pathway. You've been you know working with at North Melbourne and the AFL and Werribee, and then you end up in Vanuatu coaching a a bunch of kids. Uh, just tell me about that experience and what it did from a, a coaching perspective. Yeah, really interesting. Um, under 15 boys in local villages in Vanuatu <coughs> who uh, had maybe there's something like a, a little bit of an Auskick program over there just in school. So a little bit of exposure, some of them, but certainly hadn't seen any real AFL football. Um, and yeah, so ter- most of them turning up without shoes on a little oval next to a beautiful lagoon by the beach like it was <laughs> incredible stuff um exp- and like i'm obviously an experienced coach and here i am i've gone back to pumping up the footies a bit and, and getting things organized um but just just guys out of villages that were keen to try something new a lot of instances english was their third or fourth language I was lucky enough to have a couple of really good assistant coaches who were more or less translators because boys hadn't kicked the ball much, those sorts of things. So as a coach, it really did force me to stop and think, what are we trying to teach here? How are we going to do it? I had a level in my head where I thought the boys were probably going to be at but I soon realized that wasn't the case and there was but there was a bit of disparity between um, the levels of athleticism skills knowledge so as a coach it forced me to reevaluate strip things back um, delegate uh, some guys could some of the young boys could not transfer ball from hand to foot so there's no real point in them being in the group training. It was pointless for them and for the others. So as a coach, what do you do? I had to find someone who could kick and set up some one-on-one coaching over the side. So a few of the local senior men who played a little bit of footy, so I'd get them involved. So I'd have to coach them on what I wanted them to coach to the player in through their language difficulties. So it was a great challenge. and. Um, really enjoyable, culminated in the AFL conduct the Oceana Cup in Fiji each year. So we went over there, we took, you know, 24 boys out of the local villages on in Vanuatu. No, most of them didn't even have a passport. So we had to get all that sorted out, get them on a plane over to Fiji, play a week of footy against Tonga and, and uh, other South Pacific nation teams. Really rewarding, saw enormous growth in a week. Or, sorry, so culminating in that week, but you know, about a seven week training program, saw enormous growth. Um, so, again, just coaching, it never ceases to throw up some new challenges, new ideas, and uh, take a tackling. Um, situations in a new way as a coach you know having there's a lot of talk of of being agile um 
in the modern era. So that was a real test for my flexibility, agility as a coach to approach things differently. Really rewarding and, um, yeah, some great lessons, not only for me, um, sorry, not only for the players, but for me as well. So that was uh, really interesting. So, yes, uh, I can join you now in saying that uh, I have coached at an international level, which is uh, I find amusing, but uh, it was really fun. So are we kind of rivals then? We don't, I don't know if they have a senior team, Vanuatu, but maybe we shouldn't have had this conversation. It's, uh... The thing is, I think uh, if, we, if I can get together a, a national team to represent Vanuatu uh, against their uh, traditional rivals, the uh, Canadian Maples or whatever <laughs> you are over there, I think... <laughs> we would have to play the game in Vanuatu because it would be way too cold for my boys in Canada. All right. Well, let's set that up. You get a squad together, open age men. Uh, so you will have to wait a couple of years for your 15 year olds yeah, to come through. But <laughs> and, for this COVID, and for this COVID thing to settle down so that we are allowed to uh, fly internationally. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, won't be any time soon, I don't think. No. Well, we'll we'll come to Vanuatu. I'll I'll book that in with with our guys. But um, yeah, it's it is kind of mind blowing when even when I sit back and think about it. Just the program that we've got up and running here. Again, is coaching an indigenous game to anyone outside of Australia is is just so magical really and it's it challenges you in ways that you just have no idea about sometimes people haven't seen a game when they come to meet um that's very rare because obviously the national program but sometimes you just see athleticism and you're like hey come down and train and you gotta teach them what a platform hand is and that you can't shepherd facing forwards and like it just talking you talked about agility i i call it like Coach, well, it's coachability. You need coach pause ability, and it, it really stretches you. But it's so magical when you see that progression, like you talked about, whether it's kids or, or men or women or anyone, and you just see the joy in people's faces of this game that you love, even though you're on the other side of the world and they had no idea about the game two years ago. That is yeah. the most magical thing. Yes, I could imagine that sounds, uh, yeah, a, a wonderful positive. Mm-hmm. All right, mate, uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, I'm not, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not a big, um, I haven't got a big uh, media um, profile or anything like that and I'm not huge on the social media stuff but you can, you can find me on, um, on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, I'm on Facebook or they can get onto me through you, I suppose, if, uh, if anyone out there thinks that I might be able to help their program or in some way, yeah, I'll be only too pleased to have a conversation with someone, of course. Brilliant, mate. It was great to reminisce with you. I very much appreciate this. And, uh, yeah, again, just you know, from my perspective, 
it was really cool to pass on kind of what I took from you and, and learned from you. And, and I know, again, I've spoken to enough of the, the boys that came through our program and they had an impact on them as well. So thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been awesome to catch up. It has been. And, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, good luck. Obviously, I'll have to get a copy of your book. Can I get it over here somewhere or I'll how get are sales a, going? I'll get you over a copy, mate. It might not be signed, but I'll get you a copy. Yeah, so I'll have to um, get onto that. So it's great to see that you're doing well and, um, yeah, that your podcast series is going well and uh, author. Yeah, so it's great to see you. And, and uh, thanks for remembering me, I suppose, and um, I've really enjoyed the catch-up. and. Uh, and uh, hopefully it's more than just a uh, couple of old footy heads reminiscing. Hopefully some of the people that listen to your program get something out of it and, um, and uh, yeah, it helps someone. But uh, it's been time well spent. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.